Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. This is Peter Engler. I am going to be a solo co-host today. We are in a series on reconciliation. And when we talk about reconciliation, uh, many people jump to racial reconciliation. But the way that Christianity talks about reconciliation is there's reconciliation of forgiveness. There's reconciliation even of people that lived in poverty. Uh, Christianity gives a much broader definition, and that's what's going to help us with specific definitions. So I'm glad you're with us today. We are interviewing a friend. Uh, his name's Dan Crane, and he's responding uh, to the question, why does reconciliation matter to identity? Uh, Dan and I went to the same high school. He was a little ahead of me, um, and at the school we went to, he's actually the number two all-time leading scorer of basketball, but he has a, a fascinating story. He works for an organization called One Race um, that's really going to help us think about reconciliation. Before we get started, uh, Dan recently wrote an article that I just want to read a quote from to kind of share where he's at. So uh, Dan said this, God has been writing a story of horizontal reconciliation, meaning reconciliation with humans, all throughout the history of the world. It started in the garden and it will end in the city. And through the power of Christ's spirit, he's calling the church to live into the same reality here and now, just like he called a white farm boy from Bumpville, Pennsylvania, into that reality back in Grand Rapids, Michigan in 2006. Dan, why don't you share a little bit of that story from Bumpsville to Grand Rapids to Atlanta to share about this journey of reconciliation and identity? Yeah, so I grew up... Um in Bumpville, Pennsylvania, um, on a farm. And so I, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and work for the One Race Movement. And so, um, yeah, my story is so barely graduated from high school. Peter and I went to the same um, high school and uh, barely graduated from there with, didn't do well academically. I went to Liberty University, got accepted on academic probation, um, ended up, Jesus changed my heart there my sophomore year, um, ended up as a biblical studies degree major at Liberty. And then ended up here in Atlanta, working at a, at a large church. Went to Orlando, Florida. Was a youth pastor there. Um, kind of had a really bad experience with the church and got burned out. Met my wife down there. Um, we got married, and then we moved from Orlando, Florida, to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And in Grand Rapids, Michigan, is where um, God really began to capture our heart for what we do around reconciliation. And it happened actually at our, um, we were a part of a, a large white mega church. And this church was trying to align themselves with this idea that uh, out of the scriptures, it's clearly that God has a heart for those on the margins. And so um, rooted in Exodus 3, that God hears the cry of the Israelites, God hears their cry of the oppression um, that there's happening in Egypt under Pharaoh. And so, and God delivers them after he hears their cry. And so they ask the question, what does it mean for the for the, our church to hear the cry of the oppressed? And so they had a black pastor uh, come in and speak to their church, Pastor Marvin Williams. This is back in 2006. And so Pastor Marvin Williams spoke from the Isaiah 58 text of, you know, is this not the kind of fasting that I have chosen um, to, to loosen the chains of injustice? Um, God is critiquing the, the nation of Israel. And, and so Pastor Marvin talked about his experience of being a black man in America and talked about um, he was sitting in a restaurant one morning eating breakfast and, and an older white man walked by him and, and asked the question, what are you doing here, boy? 
And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what the boy being a racial slur dating back to Jim Crow was another word for the, for the N word. And so, um, yeah, that would, for me, it just recognized now that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, and so he was gracious enough to have breakfast with me after that. So I asked all sorts of questions. He pointed me to a bunch of different resources. Um, and then I was in seminary at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary and uh, changed my degree to intercultural ministries, began to be mentored by Reggie Smith, who is in Grand Rapids, currently works for the Christian Reformed Church and leads the race relations arm for the Christian Reformed Church. He began to mentor me. Um, so I just immersed myself um, in, in the study of the word. Um, I dove deep in the Ephesians 2 text of God reconciling the Jews and the Gentiles because, because of Christ. Yeah, so I graduated from Grand Rapids Theological Seminary um, with the Intercultural Ministries degree. In the process, actually, my wife and I interned under FCS Community Development, which is uh, the community development organization here in the neighborhood we live in, in historic South Atlanta. And so we lived here for a month and just fell in love with the idea of, of being here. And, um, and they invited us to move into the community and we wanted to, it just was a matter of timing. And, and we realized that they were inviting us to move into the neighborhood, um, to raise funds and to work at the church. We just weren't ready to make that move. And so we moved back to Orlando, Florida, um, through some mutual friends that got connected to a, a guy that was starting a nonprofit, um, out of reformed theological seminary in Orlando called the Polis Institute. And what Polis was trying to do was calling the church into many ways, dealing with the structures of racism and um, not just coming into low-income neighborhoods and doing handouts and expecting people to pull some, pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but uh, working with the neighborhoods and working with the neighbors and through a method called asset-based community development. And they wrote a training called Dignity Serves which really was calling the church into that. And so I went through Dignity Serves, deeply impacted me um, because um, speaking to identity, my identity was still rooted in what I knew. And Donald Miller has a quote that says, be careful of a white guy with a master's degree because he thinks he knows it all. And so um, I realized that I needed to learn to repent. I needed to learn to take a posture of listening. And, um, and so I, uh, 10 years ago, moved, started working for Polis, um, started raising funds, started training churches in Dignity Serves, and 10 years ago, we moved up here um, into the city, to historic South Atlanta, and we've been in the neighborhood um, for 10 years. We've been in the city for 10 years, um, basically just consulting and connecting and training the churches around this Dignity Serves concept of calling them into reconciliation um, in Christ you know, across race, culture, and, and particularly class. And so we've been doing that for 10 years. And then about four years ago, uh, One Race Movement began. Um, they had a catalytic event in um, August of 2018. Um, so almost three three years ago, um, they uh, had did an event at Stone Mountain, um, historically um, racist place here in Atlanta. Um, and they called the church to a day of prayer and repentance and fasting. And so we had 23,000 Christians that showed up for that event. And so um, a year and a half ago, I, I came mm -hmm. on staff with one race as the director of groups and mobilization. And so basically, um, my task is to build out groups of pastors all around the city. Because um, in the 10 years of being here, I'm able to build a lot of network, a lot of pastors and, and, and people in the community. And then mobilize people into the work of reconciliation. 
and around this idea of uh, the trans one race transformational journey is know the story, own the story, and change the story. So we have to know the the, the structure construct of race, um, how it how it ha- how it came to fruition here in this country. We have to own the story. This is where identity comes into play a lot, um, and then through the power of the gospel, we change the story. And so mm. um, that's that's what I do. Mm. And so. So that's a lot. Um, You've told that story before, but, you know, something that I find very fascinating about you just to kind of help our listeners is, you know, we're talking why, um, why does reconciliation matter to identity? Um, So if you search your articles, you always say you're from Bumpville, Pennsylvania. Um, You know, you mentioned in there the Donald Miller quote, a white guy with a master's degree that thinks, you know, how have you changed? Because this idea of identity in Jesus, it sounds really, really good. But if you could go back through your life and say, my identity at one point was, I wasn't good at school. I was a remedial student. My identity was, I was a pastor. Um, My identity was, I was a star basketball player until I got to Liberty and found out D1 talent's different. We talked about that on the side. Walk us through that transformation so that we can kind of understand where you're coming from and how this seemingly very difficult idea from the gospel has become real in your life. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the first part, it's been an ongoing journey as far as who my identity is and and what you place it in. And as you said, I've had experiences where um, I've placed my identity in certain things, whether it's sports basketball at, at Ross Corners, right? Um, ministry as well took on a form of identity. And part of the Father's love upon my life is that he's, he's taken those things away in a very loving way. And to say, no, my identity is in Christ and Christ alone as his beloved child. And so, yeah, there's been experiences where God has said, man, Dan, you are my beloved. Um, I am yours. You are mine. Nothing in this world matters. It doesn't matter what people say of you. Um, And this is where I rely heavily upon um, God's work through the black church and and God's work through black theology. And and speaking of a a mutual person that we look up to, Howard Thurman, who uh, was in school up in Rochester, he, in a lot of his books, he talks about the importance of being um, um, the child of God. And he, in fact, in Jesus and the Disinherity, he says the awareness of being a child of God tends to stabilize the ego. And so um, how this means to reconciliation is, particularly for me coming um, from the white majority culture, is if my identity is fully in Christ, um, I can recognize the privileges that culture has given me. Right. And and I can easily give those up. Um, and so when things are said to me or I'm attacked or judged, um, I, I can be OK with it. Right. Um, when I recognize um, I remember when this church in Michigan started to really dive deep into the stuff, um, the pastor spoke about how the rest of the world perceived America. And I remember not being offended because my identity has never been rooted in being an American white male. It's been in Christ. And if that's true, then people can be honest about how they perceive America, right? How we perceive by the rest of the world. Um, I, I, man, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a white guy and I live in a black neighborhood. 
um, Rayshard Brooks was shot and killed a mile from my house. Um, we, I went to the Wendy's afterwards and I know how people perceive me. I'm six foot two, I'm white and, um, I look like a police officer. Um, and we got a lot of nasty looks, nasty comments when we went there just to be, um, and, and if, and if your identity is not rooted in anything other than Christ, we can become very fragile, right? We can become, you know, highly offended. And about two years ago, I'd never seen this text before, but the Spirit led me to the sermon, to rereading the Sermon on the Mount. And twice Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for what? They shall be called children of God. Blessed are those when they persecute you and put you down, for you are called my children. And so for me, identity is so, so important in this work of reconciliation um, because it, our, our, yeah, our identity is in Christ, not in this country, not in this world, not in any conservative or political party, but in Christ and Christ alone. So I want to push on you a little bit because um, we live in a very polarized time. Um, you know, we, we, you know, you, you brought up politics, Democrats and Republicans. Um, you know, we're talking about woke culture, cancel culture. And, you know, I guess from your vantage point, what does identity and reconciliation have to do with each other? And it seems like you've connected that, you know, for the Christian, for Jesus, that if your identity is in him, then it's a very different story. But how have you seen the pursuit of reconciliation, but maybe not necessarily tied to healthy identity, you know, even from conservatives to fundamentals, like this has been a very difficult topic. So I guess, how are you mm -hmm. kind of, how do you see those two things going together? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, yeah, I think how I see it playing out is if your identity is not rooted in anything other than who Christ says you are, when you get critique and when you get judged, you will get defensive, right? And so we have to be honest why people are getting defensive, right? When we bring up conversations around CRT or Marxism or whatever it is, like, um, no, we're critiquing the thing that you came from, right? This white theological construct that we came from was really, really dysfunctional. The thing that we came from, that we were trained in, was really, it was in many ways broken and tainted by the sin of, of white supremacy. We have to acknowledge that. And as Christians, we're called to be truth tellers and, and to recognize that. And this has nothing to do with any of those other things on social Marxism, anything. Like, this is truth. We have to tell the truth about the social construct of race and how it manifested in this country and how the church was complicit in this in the whole the whole time um last night in fact i sat with two friends um that were white and they're beginning guys beginning to open their eyes up to this to what's happening and they're kind of like it's almost overwhelming for them because they realize everything we've taught or everything we've been taught has been wrong and that's what happens for us in the majority culture um we don't have the same experiences we we haven't been impacted by racism in the ways that our friends of color have. And so it's a lot of unlearning for us. 
And, and this is why identity comes into play so, so, so huge. I don't know if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> no, it's great. Let, let's get real. Um, we're recording this um, the week after Dante Wright um, was shot. Um, and then um, I believe it's Adam Toledo, um, you know, 13-year-old um, Latino was just shot. And um, I, I guess what I want to kind of know from you is how are you processing this what does it look like from Monday through Friday to talk with your kids, to talk with people at one race, to talk with your neighbors, you know, walk us through what that looks like. I mean, I think my wife summed it up best. Uh, I think on Tuesday after the latest round, um, she's like, how are you doing? I'm like, um, I asked why well, I actually asked her how she was doing. And she's like, I just feel numb. And I think that's the feeling. Um, when you have close friends of color that feel this trauma, that feel this pain, that you're deeply connected to it, you, you, you see things differently, right? Like it's the same expression that happened a month ago when, you know, this guy shot up Asian American parlors, right? Um, to sit with, um, close friend of mine, Andrew Yoon, who leads Daniel's Prayer Garden here in Atlanta, one of the most godliest pursuing Jesus brothers you will ever meet, um, just to sit with him in his pain as he spoke at one of our one race events. And just for me, that's, that's, that's how I process it is just sitting with, with people that actually are experiencing the trauma, experiencing the pain. Um, and it just, it's, it's just hard. And, and we've been doing a lot of lamenting lately and we'll continue to do more and more lamenting. And um, I mean, I had a close friend of color just today say that as he's watching the trial um, unfold in Minnesota with the Derek Chauvin case, like he's like, I just, I, I have to turn it off. I can't watch it. And I think that's real. I think there's real lived trauma for people of color and particularly for African-Americans like in, and um so I think how I process it is just you you sit in it and you trust Christ in it um, and, and know that he is with us. And, and I think this is why, as you know, a, a white guy coming from majority culture um, hasn't been my story. And so this is, yeah, this is again, comes back to identity. Um, if our identity is in Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, suffer with those who suffer, mourn with those who mourn. And so we are called to enter into that story, not as saviors, um, but as um, but as friends, as family, right? And I, I think this is where the gospel, I think this is where the church is uniquely set up for this because of the indwelling life of Christ that we have living inside of us, literally bonds us together with the, the with the family of God. And so where your pain becomes my pain. That's how I'm processing it. <laughs> so, you know, we've talked about these terms on the podcast. Uh, I just want you to get super practical because I think one of the things that you're saying is when you have a healthy identity, when you know that you were created in the image of God, when you know that Jesus Christ died for you and resurrected from the dead— there's a certain way that you carry yourself in these difficult conversations. Um, so 
like you can lament and grieve. What does that actually look like? Like, do you have a process for lamenting? Do you read lamentations? But I think for our listeners, like, you know, because if, if I don't know my identity, I walk into that situation, I either try to defend myself or say something that I think sounds awesome, but it's actually really offensive. But like when you're healthy and you know your identity, you can lament and grieve. But what does that look like? Like, tell me when you say I lament, what is that? It means I listened a lot to the Holy Spirit, and I listen a lot to my friends of color. Um, it means that I check in a lot with them, um, that I don't try to fix them. I don't try to um, I just say, hey, I'm with you. How are you doing? Um, if they feel like talking, right? And so it means a lot of education. Um, I'm, I always point people to Latasha Morrison's book, Be the Bridge. Um, we're actually gearing up to do Reconciliation 401 on Lament, reading a book called Weep With Me, and um, all sorts of books you can you can do to prepare yourself. And so that practically is what it looks like. I actually just read Prophetic Lament by Sun Chan Ra, um, basically is an exegesis of Lamentations and what it means for the for the church here in America. And so that's practically what it looks like for me. And I journal a lot, too. Um, I'm a writer and so I, I process a lot. And so, um, yeah. So I think one of the struggles for, um, for white people and I'll say white Christians, and this is you and me talking, I don't think I'm representative of all white people, but you know, one of the things that I hear is, you know, it's their pain, their weeping, their grieving but you've a number of times have said it's our grieving, it's our pain. What's that process like? You know, how did it become yours too? I mean, when you become family, right? I mean, and 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 this is again why the family of God is so so important. Um, I sat with a few weeks ago. I sat with two close pastor friends from here. One's one's black and one's Asian. And um, we just come from different contexts, different backgrounds. And we all talked about like, no, we want family. This isn't about anything other than just being the family of God together. And so, and I think when you really enter into those relationships, your pain becomes my pain. And, um, and I think there's a lot of other dynamics um, around that coming from the majority culture. Um, but I think that's what happens. Like the Holy Spirit literally binds us together and um what we see happening in the book of acts um especially in the book of uh, acts 11 and antioch um where the gospel is breaking down all those racial and cultural differences um th there were a new family was being born out of um what was happening so i i want to shift um you know because we're talking about being family um and i'm sure you know police officers um, there's police officers that attend the church that I serve. I know many of them. They feel like it's a calling that God has placed them to make a difference. And um, I think they'd also say there there has to be reform. Uh, what would you say to police officers that are listening that have kind of made it through this podcast? What would you say to them? Yeah. Hey, thank you for what you do. Like it's a, the, the, the motive is, is good. 
Um, I mean, I have friends that are police officers and um, I have a friend of mine, um, Davis Burnett here in Atlanta that, um, so I'll just speak to him, speak about him, his journey real quick. Um, He was a Marine, um, became a police officer. And the first place he became a police officer was in um, Montgomery, Alabama. And he, uh, (laughs) the, the badge that he wore, um, on the bench, and they just changed it, I think, 15 years ago. Um, it said the cradle of the Confederacy on the, on the police badge. And so Davis wasn't aware of any of this stuff. And then about four years ago, him and I met. We actually went through Be the Bridge curriculum. Um, shout out to Be the Bridge again. If you've never read the book, read it. Um, they have a small group curriculum. Um, and so go through that. Um, one race, we're actually writing our own small group curriculum. So until then, go through Be the Bridge. Um, but we went through, we went through Be the Bridge together. Um, and we, man, we dove deep in the history of race. And it was really interesting to see Davis's eyes become open that, you know, he was dedicated to being a police officer and that's fine. But he realized, oh man, like this is, this is what I'm a part of now. Right. And he talked about, he actually confessed to the group about stuff they used to do in Alabama. He's like, yeah, guys. We used to, you know, beginning our shift, we used to drive down the street and, and say, who are we going to harass to, who are we going to harass today? And tar- specifically target young black men, right? And, um, and so you're stepping into a story, right? And it's the same thing for me. About 10 years ago, when I first moved into this neighborhood, um, I had a lot of experiences um, and people pushed back on me. And I'm like, well, why? Well, because I'm stepping into a story, right? In one specific instance, uh, there was my next door neighbor, um, Leonard, who was an older black man and um, got to know Leonard, um, built a relationship with him and found out he had a library in his, in his house. And I'm in my own little small little library and I have tons of books and I like to read. And I said, Leonard, you know, I'd love to see your library. I'd love to see your books. And Leonard's reaction to me was, no, 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 no. Let's ease into this thing. Right. And so we was he reacting against me personally? No. I mean, again, I'm kind of an intense guy. He's more reacting up to about me and my skin color and what it means. Like a, a Leonard who's in his 70s, a black man, lived through Jim Crow, lived through all these different things. Who knows what his last interaction with a white guy was? Right. And understanding this is the story you are stepping into. And recognizing that and the importance of building um, cultural intelligence, the importance of understanding what does it mean to be a white guy, right? Uh, what does it mean? You, it carries all sorts of different things. And so we have to be build up cultural awareness. That's what my degree was in seminary was on cultural intelligence. Um, and it, it, this is always modeled in the gospel. This is modeled in life and the work of Jesus Christ as um, I always point people, hey, if you know, what's the gospel say about this? Well, go read John 4. Um, Jesus chooses to go through Samaria, right? John 4, 4, it literally says, now he had to go through Samaria. And then what happens next, right? He sits down at this well with this woman, right? And Jewish rabbis in that context don't talk to women. They don't go through Samaria. The normal route was to go around, right? And so Jesus practiced this and and... I mean, there's all sorts of, I could go on for hours on this because I just got done teaching Rec 301 on cultural identity and really unpacking the Jew and the Gentile division in Acts 10 and 
and what happens in Galatians 2 in Antioch when Paul opposes Peter to his face because of Peter's Jewish cultural superiority and reacting against everything that he'd been trained in. And so, yeah, say I like to say, know the story, know what you're stepping into. There's a great, um, I think it's still on Netflix or YouTube. You can just look it up. It's called The 13th um, and basically documents um, the, the dynamics around mass incarceration. And, and just know that that's the story you're stepping into. So so I, I think this is a great place to come back to. So let me just kind of set this up. So, you know, Galatians 3, 26 through 28, Paul makes a statement. Um, mm-hmm. I'm no longer Greek or Jew, Scythian or slave. And like Christians in the past have used that verse to say, I don't see color, which is not what he's saying. What he's saying is, oh. I... I see your identity, like I see who you are. So so here's kind of what I'm wondering from your perspective. Like we say things like our first identity is Christian. And then we say, you know, and I, I so number one is Christian, the rest is underneath, however you want to rank that. Like I'm white, I'm black, I'm American, I'm a New Yorker, um, I'm a Ross Corners Christian Academy Ram. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all, so like, what's the, what's the tension or what's the healthy point of first I'm a Christian, then I'm the rest. But like, sometimes we've elevated, you know, whether it be race, whether it be politics above Jesus. And so it it sounds great on paper, but how does that look in real life? especially when it comes to this issue with identity and reconciliation, because on one level, it's not that we're supposed to completely dismiss it, but how do we not uh, overemphasize it, I guess? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Yeah, I think when you discover who you are in Christ, when you receive that you are his beloved, um, when you embrace those things, I think it happens what, Paul, happened to Paul in Philippians three, where he says, "Listen, I've had all of these different things. I've been, a, I've been, a, I, I've been, a, I've been a Sadducee. I've, I've learned the Jewish scriptures, um, but he's like, I consider all those things lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So that's happening there. What does it mean now, right? And so, yeah, as we recognize those things, it's easy for us, especially from the majority culture, to say, well, let's just focus on Christ." And Christ is the answer, no doubt. But we have to understand how this construct of race gave us what we have, right? And and recognizing that, like this is this is the story that we're a part of, and we have to acknowledge that. Um, and and just being, yeah. So that's that. I think that's my best answer. I'll probably have a better answer for you later, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so. You know, we've talked a lot about race. This series is all about reconciliation. But I guess, you know, before we kind of close, because this has been just a really fascinating conversation, you know, reconciliation has to do with poverty and forgiveness. Um, It has to do with bringing things together. You know, if you could give one insight into the big picture reconciliation of what you've learned in your life, what would that be? Hey, it's God's heart. It's God's story. It's what he's doing in the world. 
as we look at the story of Scripture through creation, fall, redemption, and completion, is that God has come to reconcile all things. Colossians 1.19, he actually uses, Paul uses that language of reconciliation of all things. And this includes when Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so he comes to reconcile us back to God, back to each other, um, back to creation, right? And then back within ourselves, within within our, so we can feel wholeness inside. And so, um, yeah, that to me is, see, this is what God is doing in the world. Um, so be honest about the scriptures, but be honest about history, right? Be honest about how we got where we where we got. Um, this is where we know the story, own the story, change the story, know the construct of race, know that 1619 is when the first people were brought over as indentured service, know that the system of chattel slavery lasted until 1863, know that in 1667, 1668 was Bacon's Rebellion in Northern Virginia, where um, the poor whites and poor blacks were rebelling against the rich white landowners. And they were actually rebelling because they wanted to own more Native American lands in Northern Virginia. And the, the people in power, the people at the top, recognize, like, if we don't do something, we're going to get overrun. And so they actually gave the poor white people a little bit more power than than poor black people. And and so this was the, one of the first glimpses in here in our country of, of whiteness, of, of how that actually was constructed. And that system continued, and it continues to the day. Like, we we see this construct of race happen. So know that story, right? Um, know that post-Civil War, um, the slavery never ended. In the words of Brian Stevenson, slavery never ended. It just morphed. Uh, it morphed into Jim Crow laws. It morphed into mass incarceration. Know that um, ghettos, the projects, were specifically government-sanctioned things to keep African Americans in their place. And I mean, and geez, I mean, no, no, the, the Japanese internment camps know that there's all these different things that have been specifically set in place that have created the structures the way things are now. Like um, these neighborhoods didn't get the way they are overnight. They didn't get there. They, they did not become just because black people wanted to live all by themselves. They were they were sanctioned. Uh, read a book called The Color of Law, how. Um, the government regulated the stuff. Know that white flight occurred after you know people, of, you know, of African descent moved to the city, and there was there was um, riots over police brutality, and and majority people look like us moved to the suburbs, and that was a creation or moved moved outside the city. That was a creation of the suburbs, and so no, they, we don't we didn't get here overnight, and so um, and then yeah, do your research. Um, understand again, read, be the bridge. Um, if you, anybody wants to, if anybody's listening to this podcast and I put together a huge list, a resource list last year, uh, know the story, own the story and change the story. Um, shoot me an email, Dan at one race movement.com. Um, and, uh, we actually got a class coming up here, rec 401. And so that's what I would, that's, that's what I would say. Oh, that's one thing. That's probably five things. Uh, you know, it's it's all good. Us verbal processors. This is why we do podcasts. Yeah. Um, you know, as we kind of close, just I said two more questions, but I'm going to throw in one more. But, um, you know, talk about what one race does when we think about identity, uh, just to be, you know, helpful to help people understand what you're trying to do. You talked about the classes and the resource list. But I can imagine some of our listeners after this conversation, they're going to want more. Why don't you share a little bit? 
Yeah, you can follow us on, on social media. We're, we're on Facebook or Instagram, on Twitter. Um, we're actually in the finalizing process stages of, of planning out the next couple of years. And so a lot of that will be un, unfolded. And so we place a lot of emphasis on education, a lot of awareness. Um, Josh Clemens, the director of One Race, he's constantly saying, you know, everyone's asking the question, what do I do? What do I do? He's like, no, 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 we need, we need to learn to see properly. We need to see the issue and what happened to, to then to move forward, right? Um, there was actually a, a good friend of mine who is African-American a couple of days ago um, said to me, he's like, you know, I've been processing this idea of like, what kind of things led us to this point, right? <laughs> what kind of theology led us to this place? Um, rather than just saying, hey, I was going to fix the issue. Now, the issue is much too complex, much too layered. Um, and this is why we need the gospel. This is why we need God um, to, to give us the strength to, 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 to make all things new. So, yeah, we're all. But anyway, One Race is on social media. Um, follow us there. And everything we do will, will be posted there. We'll be tagging that. Um, we'll be tagging you. So we're all set to go. Hey, the question we always end with, we kind of answered it throughout the way, but I think it's good to close with. What does Jesus have to say about this topic? So if I had another co-host here, I'm solo co-hosting, we'd answer it, um, then you would. So I'm going to answer it. And the reason we give our guests the time to answer, because if there's any heresy or anything wrong, you can just clean it all up. So I'll get started. What does Jesus have to say about this? Um, you know, it, it's interesting to me, um, you know, at Browncroft, we're in a series about reconciliation. Um, there's a ton of scripture in the Bible uh, just about this idea of reconciliation. And probably the biggest verse or section towards racial reconciliation is uh, Ephesians 2, where it talks about that God, you know, destroys this wall. But I actually, I want to back up to Ephesians 1, where Paul says that we're all inheritors of God's grace, that that he chose us. And I don't think that we've always made that tie from Ephesians 1 to Ephesians 2. You know, he doesn't say, start with, God breaks down the wall. He starts with, you know, all of us, you know, we can identify that you are black, you are white, that you, you know, you're a higher class, you are blue collar, white collar. No, he starts with, no, we're, we're all children of God. We are all inheritors. We all have God as our father. And we're children of him, which to be children and someone that inherits something was a huge honor in the ancient culture. And it still is for us today. So before we even talk about any reconciliation, forgiveness, poverty, um, reconciliation with God, it's it starts with the fact that God calls us his children. And that's kind of what I'm leaving this episode with with you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's a good reminder all the time, Uh, you know, like. You quoted Galatians three, and Paul, you know, the Jews are Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for all one in barbarian. Skip that's in Colossians three. Um, what Paul is contrasting is in the Jewish culture, there was literally a prayer in, uh, in I think in the Mishnah, say, "Praise God, you that you have not made me a woman. Praise God that you have not made me a Gentile. Praise God that you have not made me." And that's what Paul's countering. Paul is not saying you don't get rid of your ethnic identity. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying that's secondary. Um, and I think I need to go back and reframe, like, everyone, especially the majority culture, let's just move past, let's just forgive, let's just be all one in Christ. 
yeah, that is the goal, but you recognize like what has been given to you, right? Um, majority culture, we've been we've been at top, we've been at power for 400 years, right? And so we set the customs, we set the norms. Um, there's a phenomenal, very godly woman that I follow at Ohio State, Dr. Corey Edwards. Um, her work is phenomenal. Are you familiar with her work at all, Peter? Not yet, but I'll be checking it out afterwards. Phenomenal. Dr. Corey Edwards, uh, African-American sociologist, been studying race in the church. Everything she does is from the heart of God, from them being the beloved of God. Um, but she talks a lot about power and how this racial construct created power, right? And so uh, we, in the majority culture, have to recognize that. And and Philippians 2, Paul says, if you are rooted in Christ, right, then you seek out the interest of others. And so um, I think that's what I'm constantly looking at, right, is the power that culture has been given to me. And because the gospel um, changes me, I want to give that power up. And so that's why um, I can say, be careful of a white guy with a master's degree because he thinks he knows it all, right? Like, I think part of my story, and, and Peter, you picked up on this, and while we're talking about identity, I think part of my story is when I recognize how the rest of the world perceives people like me, white men, um, I'm like, I'm going to be the opposite of that, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> rather than talk, talking, rather than trying to be right, I'm going to listen. Um, and I struggle with that because I like to talk. Um, and rather than just trying to be right all the time and prove myself, I'm going to, I'm going to, no, I'm going to enter into this conversation through interdependency, right? Um, and so rather than trying to fix people, I'm going to really try to listen. Um, and so I think that's why identity has been so important for me. Man, uh, this has been a wonderful conversation. Uh, Dan is on social media. We're going to be tagging. He's specifically on Facebook, uh, the One Race Movement. We're going to be tagging, but make sure it's oneracemovement.org. Did I get that right? Uh-huh. Oneracemovement.com. Oneracemovement.com. Uh, the best way for you, uh, for us, to, uh, for you to stay in touch with us is go to whygodwhypodcast.com. Subscribe to our email. You won't miss an episode. Um, we're going to be sharing more of what Dan has done. And so we're just really excited. Dan, thank you so much for tackling this tough, tough issue and closing it. We appreciate it. Yeah. I also, I also raise my own funds. I have the privilege of raising my own funds. So for anybody that's touched about what I do, I'd love to talk to you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you keep that in there. Anyways, Dan, thank you so much. I hope you have a great day and uh, blessings. <laughs>